Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. Today's story was supposed to be a story about the last COVID-free place in North America. Now, though, it's not. Because here's the thing with this virus. While there are a million things that you can do to mitigate the risk, you can do every one of them perfectly and still get hit. It doesn't mean that you or your city or your province haven't done a good job. It doesn't mean that your plan is not worth studying and emulating and even celebrating once we're back to being able to celebrate things. It just means that, as tight as your bubble was, COVID found a way in. If you can literally count on your hands and toes the number of community cases of COVID-19, your community is doing something right. And in the case of the community we're paying a virtual visit to today, getting this thing right was the only option. Because a virus spreading unchecked in the Canadian North hundreds of miles from enough resources to care for a major outbreak would be a death sentence to many people. So how has the Nunavut bubble managed to keep the region's cases to a couple of dozen? What have they given up to get there? How did the bubble finally crack, and how will Nunavut deal with its first cases to make sure they don't become the first of hundreds more? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Kent Driscoll is a national news reporter for APTN. He is based in Iqaluit, Nunavut, which until very recently was the last COVID-free place in North America. Is that right, Kent? Yes, Nunavut was COVID-free until November 6th, when the first case was reported in Rankin Inlet, Nunavut. I'm going to ask you about that case uh, in just a minute, but maybe you could quickly describe what it was that made Nunavut so safe for so long. Well, back in March, when all of the COVID-19 news started to hit, uh, Nunavut put in a full uh, it's a travel ban. The ban might be a little bit much, but basically, if you're traveling into the territory, you have to spend 14 days isolating at uh, basically a hotel room that the government pays for. So that way, if anyone had been infected, they would have started showing symptoms before they got in a plane to Nunavut. And that goes for everyone coming to the territory. So I, I think that is probably what kept us as safe as we were for as long as it was. That's a different way to do quarantine. I mean, I think a lot of us have been familiar with the uh, the travel-based quarantine, but it's usually after you arrive in a place. Can you explain why it's uh, the other way around for Nunavut? Well, there was some talk of having one of those facilities here in Iqaluit. But if you look at it practically, say you're at the one in Ottawa and you get thrown out. For whatever reason, you violate your quarantine, you violate the rules. You're going out into a community there 
and you can come back and start over again for your 14 days. If someone was to come up here and leave quarantine out of a Akaluit, all of, all of a sudden you've got unquarantined people running around in a Akaluit. So it sort of defeats the purpose having those isolation spots in territory. Maybe you can also explain, um, because we've done this, uh, we talked to some folks in Atlantic Canada, um, we've described life in other parts of the world. How quickly uh, did Nunavut react and what kind of restrictions were brought in when this began? And again, before you guys even saw a case, right? Oh, definitely. Before we saw a case, back in March, they closed schools without any cases at all in the territory. There was a serious lockdown put into place in March, and those uh, those restrictions were slowly peeled away over time as we went longer and longer without a case. Everyone thought as long as we had the 14-day wall there that people had to get through before they got home, that would protect us. But uh, something has gone awry with that wall is what seems to be happening. Why did the government uh, act so quickly and so seriously without even having a case? What's so dangerous about what could happen if this virus really started spreading up there? Well, the conditions in Nunavut here are just perfect for COVID-19 to spread. Uh, We have a huge housing shortage. So many people are crowded into homes. Three generations in a home is not uncommon. Uh, We have people who have to couch surf. We have lots of hidden homelessness. And you got to remember, almost every other infectious disease does so well here in Nunavut. I mean, we have tuberculosis here, uh, RSV. You name it, if you can catch it by living in close quarters, Nunavut has it. So the worry was, uh, once it hit a community, it would be really hard to try and close the door afterwards. So that's why they went so heavy at the beginning, knowing that it would be a huge challenge if it actually landed here. And they bought themselves seven months that way. How about the healthcare facilities up there? Is there enough uh, care, enough uh, trained physicians and nurses, ICU beds, PPE to deal with spread? Uh, the PPE we're covered on, uh, that's, uh, we were talking with uh, Dr. Michael Patterson, our uh, chief public health officer, and, and they're pretty confident about the PPE. Now, where you start to get into some challenges is there's only one hospital hospital in Nunavut, and that's here in Iqaluit. When you get to Rankin Inlet, it's a health center. Now, it's a regional health center there, so it's big enough that they can uh, deliver babies and do some tests and stuff, but it's not a full-on hospital. And then you go to Arviat, where there are where most of the cases are. Uh, they have a health center, so they have it's about seven nurses and usually a doctor. Now, keep in mind when you're dealing with northern nurses, uh, northern nurses are doing far more primary care than most registered nurses would do in a southern position. They're used to having to do all sorts of things that most nurses don't have to, but when someone needs to, if someone needs to be medevaced, and it's happened once already in Arviat. Uh, they have to be medevaced to a southern location. We don't have ICU ca- capability in the territory. So full disclosure uh, for the listeners who are listening to this now, we talked uh, a little over a week ago about how uh, Nunavut had stayed completely COVID-free. Uh, you you were planning a series on it. We were planning an episode on it. And uh, and what happened, Ken? Uh, well, we got our first COVID case. I believe you and I may have jinxed things. And it wasn't just us. All over the territory, I've been seeing people have relaxed. People have grown comfortable with the idea that we had no cases. And it looks like we said shut out in the third period. <laughs> and here we are. Where did the first case come from? You mentioned Rankin Inlet. What do you, uh, what do you or uh, I should say the medical officer of health know about it? This, all right. I, mean, I want to be very careful here because I don't want to mischaracterize Dr. Patterson. 
But what we do know is that the two people who originally tested, one positive, one in Arviat and one in Rankin Inlet, had both been in Winnipeg for the for the quarantine. They had done their 14 days of quarantine in Winnipeg. And I asked specifically, there's two hotels they're using for that in Winnipeg, whether the patients had all been at one or the other or both. And they had been at both. So the suspicion, and they're not coming out and saying it directly, but they're investigating it, is somewhere along the line in that Winnipeg procedure, whether it was in the actual hotel on the way to the airport, boarding the plane, however it happened, something went wrong in between Winnipeg and Rankin Inlet, and that's where the case managed to get through the wall. What happened when it became clear uh, that you did have your first confirmed case? Saw a whole lot more masks on the street. Uh, Immediately, Hmm. people started, like, we weren't wearing masks. No one was wearing masks because there wasn't a case. And all of a sudden, the day after the first one, I saw more masks at the store. Then more cases were announced. There were even more masks. And then over the weekend, our former mayor, Madeline Redfern, remarked that uh, even the drug dealers who are hanging out in front of the stores are wearing masks Mm. now. So there's been a lot more compliance on masks, to be sure. That's the first obvious thing. How has testing and tracing gone, and how many more cases have you found, and and what are we learning about it? Is it an outbreak yet? A few scattered uh, people testing? Dr. Patterson called it an outbreak today. And right now, sitting, uh, we're sitting at 26 total cases, 10 days in. And that's 20 in Arviat, 2 in Santa Kilowak, and 4 in Rankin Inlet. Uh, they have um, what they call a rapid response team, and they have them now in all three of the affected communities. And they're doing one-on-one contact tracing. But I was talking with, asking Dr. Patterson today about how the contact tracing is going. He's, he's happy with how it's going, but it's always a challenge. You know, people don't want to pick up the phone if they see an unknown number, that sort of thing. And some people just don't want to report where they've been or who they've been in contact with for whatever reason. So contact tracing is not a perfect science, but that is what they've been working on. And that's the response right now. And we do have some, at the beginning of this, back in March, one of the major concerns was we didn't have rapid testing here in the territory. Well, it turns out that one of the machines they use to test for tuberculosis, all you have to do is switch in a different cartridge and it'll test for COVID-19. So they were able to get those certified. It's called a biofire machine. And we have those in Rankin Inlet and in Iqaluit. So when these positives started coming in, they've got a lot quicker turnaround time on the testing. So have all the cases then been traced um, to that original one? I know uh, what we worry about a lot down here in Toronto, where where cases are, are high and climbing, is unchecked community spread, i.e. cases pop up with no link to a previous one. They're fairly certain that's happened in Arviat. Like, I want to, again, be very careful. I don't want to put words into Dr. Patterson's mouth. They think that uh, there's community spread that has gone on in Arviat. Now, one of the Rankin Inlet cases can be traced back to Arviat as well. So they're thinking that the community spread has happened in Arviat. Not so much in Santa Kilowak or Rankin. Until, um, geez, until last week on Friday, they wouldn't even tell us the travel history of the people, which is something that's common. I know uh, I'm originally from Atlanta, Canada, so I've been paying attention to their briefings. And the first thing Prince Edward Island does when they get a case is tell the person's travel history. They say, you know, well, they just arrived from out of province, so clearly it's not community spread. They were reluctant to even give us that information until Friday of last week. And the other thing, they're, the government in Nunavut is very reluctant 
to get into anything that would identify an individual patient. Because you look at Santa Kilowak, there's only 800 people who live in Santa Kilowak. So if you gave out the information that they had just returned from a travel hub, right? well, that's a very small group of people, okay? And then out of that group of people, who, who don't we see at the store? Okay, they're the one with COVID. So it's, it, they, they're really trying to walk the line between giving us enough information to be aware, but not enough information to identify individual patients. You mentioned earlier how uh, extremely fast the government reacted uh, even before there was a case uh, up there in March. Now that you have one, you mentioned people might be wearing masks more. Uh, what restrictions have come back? How quickly, how hard? Are you back on lockdown? Lockdown starts Wednesday, uh, November 18th, and it's going to be a territory-wide lockdown. Now, back last week when the first cases started happening, Erviet and Rankin Inlet are in Nunavut Central Region, the Kivalik Region, basically north of Churchill, the part of Nunavut that's north of Manitoba. And they put in more serious restrictions there. There are de- There's full lockdowns in the three communities, Arviet, Santa Kilowak, and Rankin Inlet. But then the rest of that region, they've also closed schools, non-essential businesses, and the like. Now, starting on Wednesday, that's going to be happening here in Iqaluit and everywhere else in the territory. I, I have the release right in front of me. Rec facilities closed. Sporting activities and events are suspended. Restaurants are takeout only and bars will be closed. Hairstylists, masseuses, closed. One thing they are keeping open, I asked, I asked after the press conference because it was... It seemed a little bit trivial to waste everybody's time on, but uh, the beer and wine store here in Iqaluit, they plan on keeping it open throughout this upcoming lockdown because uh, the chief public health officer thinks the the potential risks from closing it to people trying to go somewhere else to get alcohol outweigh the benefits of closing down that store. So uh, we're not going to have uh, we're not going to have schools or haircuts, but uh, we'll have beer and wine. Let me ask you. I mean, uh, it's funny that you mentioned the beer and wine because that was something that that we dealt with uh, seven months ago and everybody kind of got past it. What is the mood there like? Because I try to picture it now after uh, seven months of kind of living off and on with the feeling that this virus is around us, is in the community, um, could be, you know, on the subway or whatnot. Uh, to have that sudden shift of, of thinking it was completely non-existent there to all of a sudden um, – quite a jump, albeit a, a, a small number of cases, uh, must really shift, like, the the mood. Well, I know, speaking personally, like, for myself, uh, I was, I went into the store on Saturday uh, to pick up some stuff for the weekend, uh, the North Mart, our local store, and I was wearing my mask. And once I got in, I noticed everyone who wasn't wearing a mask really stood out to me. And I got, I got mad. I, I thought I was going to lose my temper right there in the store, out of nowhere, just like a hot flash of rage. And uh, that, that surprised the heck out of me. I'm, I'm usually more level-headed than that. But I, uh, you know, so personally, it's, it's a heck of a shift for everyone. And uh, people are scared. And I can tell people in the communities are scared because when this first started, we would have these, pre- they would have press conferences every couple days. And... People know that you're a reporter, and they got questions, they send them to you. And I was getting questions from everywhere, from like, from government and Nunavut staff, from teachers, from nurses, from residents, you name it. They were, I was getting emails and texts and all that. And that slowed down over the summer. Mm-hmm. But when they started doing those pressers again last week, oh, my phone doesn't stop dinging. That's so 
people are reaching out for whatever information they can get. And then rumors are also flying around again. Well, someone in this community has it. Well, someone in that community has it. And uh, today, when that was asked, uh, it's the closest I've seen uh, Dr. Patterson come to swearing on camera. Uh, someone asked, okay, there's lots of rumors that there's a case in a Calouette. Can you address this? And uh, he wanted to say that's bullshit. He bit his tongue on it and he said, there's something else I'd like to say on that. But no, absolutely not. So, and that's one thing the government in Nunavut has really been stressing in their response. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't assume it's this. Just because somebody says something doesn't necessarily mean that's what's happening. Listen to the doctor and that's where the truth comes from. Because Nunavut's a series of very small, small towns. And small towns are it's a great place to raise a kid. It's also a great place to gossip. And that, that is what they're really worried about with the response. How confident uh, are the officials there that this is something that can be stamped back out again? Or is it now a question of, okay, this virus has made its way up here. Uh, we have to learn to take precautions and live with it. It's hard to get a sense of that because uh, with the regions, uh, I you got to think that the Kavalik region is going to be dealing with this for quite some time. They've got it in two communities, a significant amount of cases in Arviat. But uh, Rankin Inlet connects directly to a Kaluit by air. Like that's a, that's a, that's a direct flight, and there's all sorts of traffic in between Rankin, which is the second largest community in the territory, and a Kaluit. And Arviat's the second or third largest community, depending on whether you ask someone from Arviat or Rankin Inlet. So these are very large communities that have a lot of connection to a Kaluit. Keeping the spread limited to those communities is a huge part of their efforts right now. And uh, I don't know how confident they are of it, but uh, we're, we're all hoping they do. I guess you haven't been given a timetable for how long this lockdown is going to go on for. It's indefinite till we get this under control. Is that it? Uh, right now, two weeks. It's a two-week lockdown starting Wednesday, November 18th. But what they've been doing with public health measures is in two weeks, they'll just renew it. Uh, legislatively, they can only go for two weeks at a time. So every two weeks throughout this since March, we've been getting a note. Public health measures are extended until another two weeks. So we're going to be on this, at least in that central Kavalik region, oh, longer than two weeks, that's for sure. Well, Kent, thank you for this update. I'm sorry we didn't get to do our original episode about how uh, you guys don't have COVID, but uh, stay safe, uh, keep to yourself, and, and hopefully you'll be back to that in a couple weeks. That's the plan. I'm wearing my mask like almost everybody else here in the territory. Kent Driscoll of APTN. That was The Big Story. There's more at thebigstorypodcast.ca. There's more from us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. There are more episodes of this podcast and all the other shows on Frequency and probably millions more podcasts, but we never mention them. In your favorite podcast player, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, doesn't matter. Leave a rating, leave a review. You know the drill. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. <laughs>